Okay, praise the Lord. It's good to see all your faces this morning. And uh, in the house of God, it's been a wonderful morning of worship and and uh, prayer and just being in God's presence. And so looking forward to bringing the Word of God this morning. Uh, Barbara does send her regards. Uh, she wanted to come today. That was the plan. But she's still not up to it at this point. So uh, God willing, she'll be here next week and be amongst us. Praise the Lord. All right, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And uh, and then we'll lead into Romans chapter 6. Now, as I sat down to prepare this message, and as I was working through it, I realized it was going to take more than one message to uh, share what we want to consider so I'll do it. It's still a continuation of the series that we've been doing on the fullness of Christ, but this section uh, is tied together, so, but it will take two sermons to cover it. So that's the plan as we will consider what we're going to look at in just a moment. Now, you'll realise, and I'm sure you probably already have over the process of this, that there's been a lot of um, reiteration and uh, a, in, a, in a sense a repetitiveness of certain truths and so um, which isn't a bad thing because we uh, with like with any truth of god in the scripture there's uh, the, the reiteration and the repetitive nature of us considering the various truths in the various contexts of different scriptures helps form an understanding uh, of god's word amen and so we're going to kind of proceed in, in, a, in a sense of, upon that basis. And it is a principle of learning. But you may recall last week we looked at John chapter 1 and we looked at John's words where he says we received the grace for grace. And so we looked at the emphasis of God's grace as part of that because John says of his fullness we all have received from grace for, uh, for grace. And so the, the, the aspect of grace that ties into that. And then we looked at, remember, Zechariah and uh, the, the, uh, the vision that he had in which God says to Zerubbabel um, about the capstone will go forth with grace, shouts of grace, 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 praise the Lord. And so there's this thought of, the, uh, of grace, grace of the abounding nature of God's grace. And so it's that that I want to capture again as we proceed uh, uh, to look at what we want to consider in the Word of God this morning. Because Paul deals with this issue of God's great grace and he makes a great emphasis of it in the book of Romans, especially as through our other epistles, but we find that there's a great emphasis because as he explains the gospel, no doubt it is... God's grace is central to that, but not just salvation, but in the whole context of sanctification as well, he he is writing in these particular chapters. And his use of words is quite interesting, and uh, remember, in spite of God, so here it is, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he begins to reveal to us the intention and the plan and the purpose of God in Christ Jesus that's contained within the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's unveiling this for our understanding and in it we see the purpose of God for the Christian and uh, as a result of that, the particular text that we're going to look at and verse we're going to look at are verses 
has led me to entitle this particular message, Reign to, to Reign in Life. To Reign in Life. Now, as we consider this, we could have easily have entitled it Sin No More. Okay? Because uh, that's where Paul begins to ad- address particular issues, as we'll see. But if, if you're going to not continue and live in sin, then it is important that you understand the basis and the application of God's grace in that process. Amen? And so, to reign in life, is going to be a direct result, as we will see, of the grace of God that has been given to us, which is to be appropriated, so that we can live in victory and we can live in dominion over sin. Because that's the provision that God has made, as we shall see. And if we're going to live in the fullness of Christ, then we must walk in victory over sin. doesn't mean that we never sin, but... God has, but nevertheless, the standard is God has made us and given us provision not to sin. And that is rooted in the grace of God that is bestowed upon us in its abundance. Hallelujah. So let's read. I just want to read from chapter 5. I only want to work, work on verse 17. And then I want to skip down to verse 1 to 14 in the book of Romans in chapter 6. So let's read verse 17 together. Of chapter 5. For if by one man's offence death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Go down to verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? But do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. But alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, just that you should obey it in its lust. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. And we're not going to get through all of that, but I've read it anyways. 
But we are looking at the concept and the thought that Paul identifies in verse 17 of chapter 5 where he says, the, we, uh, through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Now, this particular statement is in contrast to what Paul's talking about because he talks in, he says, for by one man's offence, death reigned through the one. And so we understand that uh, death uh, through Adam spread to all men. And so we all became partakers of the, as we call it, the Adamic nature. We're all born with that. And so death has passed to all men. And so we are born uh, uh, spiritually uh, alienated and dead to God. We are, we, we are spiritually dead until we are awakened and we are born from above. Amen. This is how it works. So, so death reigned in all men and amongst all men and ultimately manifests itself in physical death of the body, being the curse of sin. But this is in direct contrast now to the gospel of Jesus Christ in that in Christ Jesus, hallelujah, there is uh, one that overcomes uh, uh, death, and we find in verse 17 that it says these words, for by one man's offence death reigned through the one, that was through Adam, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one which is Jesus Christ. So who brings us out of the reign of death? Jesus does. Who gives us the grace and the gift of righteousness? Jesus does. And according to Paul's words and use of words, there is one who causes us to reign in life, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the source. He is the one that gives us the grace. He is the one that is imputed unto us the gift of righteousness. And these are the very things that cause us to stand. These are the very things that cause us to stand in holiness and righteousness as in our standing before God. Praise the Lord. And so we see here that reigning in life is the consequence of receiving the grace and the gift of righteousness from God. You see, there's no other way we could possibly reign in this life. And the life we're talking about is the life of God that has been uh, 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 imparted to us in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. We are talking about life and life more abundant. We are talking about eternal life, not just in the future. We're talking about eternal life now that we actually have in us uh, the life of God. And so that life is to reign. And we are to reign in that life. Praise the Lord. Now again, just to clarify, in, you know, before people start connecting all these issues of dominionism, remember I'm talking about, when I talk about the word reign, and I talk about dominionism, I am talking about it as the inner man. We are, we are to reign in life. This is what the scripture speaks about as a result of the abundance of grace. The overabundance of grace that is given to us. This is what enables us. And the gift of righteousness that we can stand in Christ. Because we can't stand, we can't have victory, we can't reign in our own righteousness, can we? 
We couldn't even have an ounce of confidence. We couldn't even, who can stand? Nobody can. But I tell you, as a result of the abundance of grace and as a result of the gift of righteousness that we have that's imputed to us in Christ, that we can stand and we can reign. Praise the Lord. You see, when Paul writes this, this is what he, he has in mind, the inner man that which is to be strengthened through his spirit. He's referring to the spiritual man that is to grow into full stature in Christ Jesus, to be so strengthened and so nourished. We can talk about it as in the context of maturity in Christ, but these are, or these are, this is the thought that Paul is, is, is thinking, and as he speaks in relation to reigning in life through the one, Jesus Christ, that word reign literally is what it says. It means to rule. It means to be as king. It means to have a, it expresses in and of itself a, a, an aspect of dominion. But it's an internal dominion that we have where we can stand against the enemy, where we can stand and how, uh, in Christ in victory and we can be overcomers in Christ as we are called to be and commanded to be in scripture praise the Lord you see do we really understand and appreciate what Paul is saying when he says uh, that we have uh, we receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness we will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ do we live according to this rule? Do we live according to this principle? Is this our experiences? And that's the whole issue that has been behind what we've been dealing with because this is what we are to appropriate in Christ Jesus. That's the whole concept. If we're going to reign, then we must reign through the one, and that is through Jesus Christ. That's why when the scripture says, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Because we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And the, 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 the results of that are various and manifold, and yet they, they, they ultimately produce, as Paul refers to in his words, as inspired by God, to reign in life through the one through Jesus Christ. Now, the intent and purpose of God is to bring us into this fullness. It is to bring us into this place where we would, through the abundance of grace that God has given, that's why the Bible says that God's grace teaches us. God's grace empowers us. God's grace in its abundance and manifold aspects of the way it relates to our lives, uh, gives us every reason to do what God has commanded us to do and what God expects us to do. You see, there's no such thing as I, I can't in God's vocabulary. God knows you can't. God says, but I've given you grace. I've given you an abundance of grace so that we are without excuse. And so, therefore, because God gives us the grace that is required to, to fulfill and what he is requiring of us. And so we have this abundance of grace that is on offer. We have this abundance of grace that has been given to us. We are recipients of this fullness of grace for grace. Praise the Lord. 
But then, with such an abundance of grace, Paul says in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? In light of this fact, in light of the fact that we have such grace, in light of the fact that we have been given such an abundance, we've been given the gift of righteousness, that we may reign through the one Jesus Christ in this life, and in life, the life of God, that flows through us and in us. Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You see, before in Adam, our sinful nature was under slavery. And yet now in Christ we've been made free and we've been given an abundance of grace. But is is God's grace as much as uh, it is given to forgive sin, amen, and we need that, it's the gift of grace, but God's grace is not there just to continue to cover our sin as we continue to walk in disobedience to God. Because Paul was addressing a mindset, he's anticipating a response, because when people look at, if, if Paul's talking about sin that was abounding, and if sin was abounding, grace abounded much more. And so God's grace is always overflowing. And so he's, the, 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 the temptation is to think, well, you know what? If I sin, and the more I sin, then the more God gets to give me grace, and the more God's glorified. And Paul's anticipating this, rash, this line of reasoning. And he's saying, oh, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, no, you're misunderstanding the grace of God. That's not how the grace of God works. Yes, that God's grace covers our sin, forgives our sin, made provision for our sin, and we are saved by grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But that does not mean, nor does it give us a license to continue in sin. Because what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You see, that does not give the grace of God greater effect. That is an abuse of God's grace. Because you must understand how the grace of God works and how it is applied to the Christian life. Otherwise, you can just go on continuing in sin, thinking, oh, well, God's gracious. And that, that is a very dangerous and presumptuous mindset to have. And it's unbiblical. It's a corruption of God's grace. It's not what God intended. And this is what Paul's addressing. And so he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And what's his response? Verse 2, <laughs> absolutely not. Certainly Not Categorically, no. Because that is a misunderstanding and an abuse of the grace of God. And he says in verse 2, How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? See, it's important that we understand what Paul is saying here. And he goes on to expound upon this because it's important to understand how shall we who died to sin live in it any longer. You see, it's a contradiction. If you've died to sin in Christ Jesus, being in Christ, then how can you live any longer in it? Bit of volume. We don't mind that. (laughs) Someone just cranked it up. 
But you see, this is what Paul's addressing. And so, in actual fact, the purpose of reigning in life through Jesus Christ is that God's grace will give us a dominion over sin, not a license to sin. And so, how and why this is accomplished is, uh, is what Paul addresses in chapter 6. And he gives us, if you want to call it a doctrinal position, on what happens to us when we become Christians. What happens to us when we first get saved? Because we must understand that at the moment of salvation, the moment that you were born of the Spirit of God, the moment you were born again, the Bible says that you died. You died to sin. You died to sin. So if you died to sin when you were born again, when you repented and were forgiven and received God's grace, then how can you reason in your mind to continue to live in it? You can't. And there's reasons for that. Look at verse number three. He's reasoning with them. Or do you not know? Now the fact that he's asking, or do you not know, kind of implies that maybe there are some that don't know. You see, we can all sit here this morning and love God and be saved, but that doesn't mean we all have a complete and full understanding of Christian doctrine and Christian experience. And we can all say amen to that, because we all fall into that category. But Paul says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? You see, this is very important for us to consider because this particular scripture, let's go to verse, uh, let's read verse 4 too. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of, of life. You see, people can read this and we use it many a times so, and we relate it, and rightly so, to water baptism because when we're water baptised we take this scripture and we, we read it. But sometimes people can not grasp the full reality of what Paul is talking about. And so if you make the emphasis just water baptism, then you are missing the truth and the, that Paul is talking about. Bapti- water baptism, uh, let me ask you this, what, water baptism is symbolic, is it not? of an internal reality that takes place when we first get saved. And so water baptism, uh, it reflects that in that we, you know, we go into the water and we come out of the water and so we identify with Christ's death and come out of the water, we identify with Christ's resurrection. But that is only symbolic of those aspects. The reality of that took place the day you got saved. The day you were born of, uh, above, the day you were born of the Spirit of God was the day in which the Bible says that you were baptised into Christ. And that's the key issue that is being highlighted here in verse 4. Look at it again, or verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptised into Christ Jesus, were baptised into his death? This is the reason why we've died to sin, because you were baptised into Christ's death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. And so there was a death that took place. And this is very, very significant because it's in this context of how can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? If we have, been, if we have died with Christ, if we were baptised into his death, then how can we continue to live 
a life of sin and disobedience to God. We can't. You see, we find this issue of being baptised into Christ very, very significant. If you can turn to Galatians chapter 2 verse 19. Galatians chapter 2 verse 19. There's a reiteration of this truth. Paul writes and he says, For I... So remember in verse 14 of Romans, Paul says, We're not under the law, we're under grace. Because the, the, the strength of sin is the law. And so if you try and live by the law, you're going to fail every time. Because that's where sin der- derives its strength from. But, and so therefore you will continue in sin. You'll continue in a cycle of sin until you learn to appropriate the grace of God, which gives you freedom and empowerment. But listen to Paul's words in, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. That's what can happen. This is what Paul's warning about. Don't set aside the grace of God by continuing in sin. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And again, he's he's highlighting a a number of various things, but in principle they tie in with what we are looking at, and that is, I have been crucified with Christ. I died in Christ. I have been baptised into his death. Amen. And now I am in Christ and the result of that is Christ is in me and I am alive to God. I have the life of God in me. The Spirit of God is in me and it quickens my mortal body. Romans 8 talks about this. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And so, that's another issue that we're finding here in our text because Paul says... In verse 4, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For we, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Resurrection life. In the same way, we have been raised with Christ. Ephesians talks about that. Ephesians where it says we have been raised with Christ and made to sit in heavenly places. This is our position in Christ. We are partakers of the divine nature. We are partakers of divine life. This is what the scripture is talking about. And so this is the life of God that pulsates, that that, that permeates, that flows in and through and it resides in our spirit, in the inner man. Now, there's a key word here in verse, in verse 4. It says, even so we should walk in newness of life. You see, in light of the fact that this is our position, that we have been baptised into his death, that we have died to sin, this is what happened to us when we were baptised into Christ. Therefore, having been partakers of his death and also now of his resurrection, 
We are to learn to walk in newness of life. See, this is the whole issue of Christian experience. When you become a Christian, we are babes in Christ. But now the aim is to learn to walk in that newness of life. And this is the process that God brings, and journey that God brings us all on, and it's the path of sanctification, and it's learning to appropriate the fullness of God so that we are walking in newness of life. Because it's very easy to live according to the old man, the, as we will just touch on in a moment. But we are to live in the new man, which is in Christ, and we are to be enriched and be drawing our life from that source. Praise the Lord. But newness of life, that word new, newness, it also carries a thought in the Greek and it talks about the fact that uh, um, uh, we are to, uh, to, uh, to walk in a renewal. So it's a newness. It's not just something that is of one off, which is obviously what happens when we are born of the Spirit. But we're also talking about the continuation of a renewal. It's a newness that we are continually partaking of. So shall we continue in sin? No. But we can continue to walk in newness of life. And you learn to live in that life. You learn to walk in that life. You learn to live in that life. And this is the thought that is being captured and uh, and it's a renewal. It talks about a freshness. Praise the Lord that we can have that. Amen? Because we need it. That refreshing. And that's why later in Romans, Paul will go on to say, uh, when he applies these doctrinal realities and truths, and he'll say these words, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, if you're going to walk in the newness of life, then your mind is going to have to be renewed by the life of God. And this is what he touches upon, if you can go, if you, can, if you may, in Ephesians chapter 4, and in verse 22, let me read it to you. Paul says, and that you put off, the correct translation is that you have put off. But concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. See, we have put on the new man, okay? It, it, it says that you put on the new man. It, the correct translation is having already put on the new man. And so we must be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And this is the newness of life. And so that's why if you are not reading the word of God, if you're not seeking God, if you're not praying, then how can you be walking in newness of life? You'll be living in the old life. You'll be walking according to the flesh, not according to the spirit, as taught in the Bible. Are you following me? Okay. Let's continue. I want to look at verse 6 in Romans 6. It says these words. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now, in verse 6, it can be a bit of a tricky scripture to understand and uh, for various reasons. But it says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Now, the question is, well, what's the old man? 
because I've read things and I even thought at various stages in my Christian journey that the old man was the old self. You may have heard that. And there's, there's, the, and, and there's a truth in that. But that's not the fundamental truth that Paul's identifying. When he says the old man, he's not talking about the old self. Because, you know, have you ever noticed that there was self before you got saved and there's self after you got saved? <laughs> the self is still there. You're still there. Okay? So it's not the old self that has died because the self is still existent before and after salvation. So when Paul says, the, knowing that our old man was crucified with him, what's he talking about? And the way to understand this is to bring it into its context of chapter 5 where Paul is talking about that death reigned in Adam. He's talking about two men, Adam and he's talking about Christ. Now, we are born into Adam, and we are born of Adam, and so therefore we have a sinful nature. So when Paul says old man, he's speaking not just in the individual sense, he's speaking collectively for all of us that are in Adam. But you see, now that we are Christians, are we in Adam? No, we are now in Christ. And so we are to put on, or we, are, we have put on, the new man, and the new man is Christ Jesus, as Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15 will tell us uh, that he is the second Adam, the second man. There was Adam and there was Christ, and as we were in Adam, we were slaves to sin because of our sinful nature, but now that we are in Christ, we're put on a new man, which is created according to righteousness and holiness, uh, and we are to bear the fruit of that life and live according to the law of that life, the law of life that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 2. And when you begin to understand it in that way, when it says, knowing that our old man was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with. The body of sin is this flesh, our carnal sinful nature that we all have. We've inherited it from Adam. And so, but the old man was crucified with him. And so this is what was done away with when Jesus became sin on that cross. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so therefore, there is that transition. We are crucified. The old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done Away with. Now, this is interesting because the old man has to be done away with. And this word done away literally means to be, in the King James, I think it's destroyed, but it means to be entirely idle, to render useless, to be destroyed. Or in other words, that's why Paul says that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves. Of sin. He who sins is a slave to sin, Jesus said. But he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And we're free indeed because we have been freed from the slavery of sin. Our old man, which is a collective term for being in Adam, which we all have, is our Adamic nature, the flesh, the carnal man, which is enmity against God has been dealt with on, through the cross, through Jesus Christ. And as we ourselves, amen, are identified with Christ and baptised into his death, we are raised into his life, and that life 
frees us from death and it frees us from spiritual death and the consequences and effects and frees us from sin so that we can live victoriously. See, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So the question is, going back, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, because don't you know that you died to sin? And this is the reason why you died. And so therefore, you are no longer a slave of sin, because God has made you free. For look at verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. You're free. Learn to live in that freedom. Learn to walk in that freedom. You don't have to continue in sin. You don't have to be bound anymore. You're free in Christ. And so we have to appropriate that grace. Sometimes people can find themselves trapped in a vicious cycle or uh, for, for, for disobedience or for temptations or for whatever weakness or whatever the case may be. God's grace is sufficient. Hallelujah. God, you've you got to understand that you have been made free. And there's so much more that we're going to go into next week uh, that time doesn't allow for us at this particular moment. But we see that this is how it works. And so on what basis can one continue in sin as a Christian? None. None. You see, I'm not talking about being without sin because none of us are in that position. He says, uh, if any of us stand here and say, well, I I don't sin because I'm being free from sin, I walk in absolute victory. No sin at all. Or we all look at you and we go, hello. (laughs) Like, really? That's the ideal, but that's not the reality. And so, therefore... We will reach that point, amen, when we put off this body. But the point is, is that even in this body, God has made provision for it to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, nullified. So that it doesn't act, it's destroyed, it doesn't bear the influence. That's why Paul says in Romans 7 that when you live according to the law, if you have a works mentality and a law mentality, then you inevitably will be bound up by sin because the law, the strength of sin is the law and so the law is always going to bind you up. Always. But not God's grace. Hallelujah. And that's why who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank Christ Jesus. Amen. And the first words of Romans 8, chapter 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who walk, the people quote verse 1, but what does verse 2 say? Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But if you continue to walk in the flesh and continue in sin and say, oh, praise the Lord, there's no condemnation. Well, maybe there might not be condemnation, but you need to get some conviction. Because God won't allow that. To continue in sin and claim that somehow that gives God glory for his grace is a contradiction of the grace of God. God, It's offensive to God that you would continue in sin. It's, I mean, any sin is offensive to God, but none of us are perfect, so we do fall short. We do sin. And thank God we have an advocate with the Father. Thank God God even has made provision for that. But nevertheless, we don't continue. This is the word, the key word. We don't continue in sin. Habitually walk in sin and live in sin because the moment you do that, you enter into spiritual death. 
That's a whole other issue. But we can see the pattern. We can see the truths that are being highlighted for us. And God's, God, God is best glorified. And God's grace is most efficient when we are walking in dominion over sin. Praise the Lord. And I tell you, when I became a Christian, I, I tell you that God set me free. Jesus Christ set you free. We were slaves of sin. And I tell you, without God's grace and power setting me free, uh, I would never have been free. How can I have stopped smoking marijuana and all of a sudden just turn around and stop in an instant after doing what I was doing? God's grace. Oh, well, it's a bit of a process. Well, it it may have to be for some, but it's not. My Bible says it doesn't have to be. Because God's, God's power is sufficient. He whom the Son sets free, he's free indeed. And so you just have to learn to appropriate that. And your faith, your faith, amen, will make you well. Your faith will tap into that source of grace and power and you will receive it. Amen. And so for some it may be gradual, based on their faith. But I tell you, uh, it can be instantaneous and we see that throughout the scripture. So God is glorified when we're living in dominion over sin, not in it. Because the whole purpose of the gospel is to make us free. To destroy the works of the devil. To set the, the captives free. So bringing all this back into context, I don't want to move forward because uh, we will, I'll leave some of this for next week. But how can we live in the fullness of the blessing of Christ and then live in sin at the same time? You can't. And so if we're going to be partakers of the fullness of the blessing of Christ, then we're going to have to live victoriously in Christ and the overcoming life as it's called. But it was somebody that said, we've just got to get rid of these terms, overcoming, victorious, and we just call it the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life. Because really that's what it is. It's just, we, we come up with these terms to describe it because we grow into it and we see it. And we go, oh, this is awesome. So we kind of elevate it. But really, we're just growing into what's to be the normal experience for the Christian. And so, I've been crucified with Christ. Paul in our text says, For by one man's offence, death reigned through the one. How much more? those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Christ in me. Hallelujah. See, the gift of righteousness has been imputed to us and that's what gives us victory. But Paul will go on and he goes on in these next verses, but also in the pre, uh, pre- preceding chapters. But he talks about, and this is what I want to look at next week. We've just kind of touched upon this doctrinal truth. But I want to look at the practical application of what Paul has just addressed. Because he goes on to give us some key thoughts of how to walk in newness of life. And so, because the fact is, is that we see that righteousness has been imputed, but now righteousness has to be imparted in the sense that now we have put on the new man which was created in righteousness and holiness, but now we have to bear the fruits 
of righteousness and holiness. And we must. We must. And that's what Paul's going to talk about. He's going to give us some key thoughts that we want to consider next week in relation to this. Go to verse 8. Now, we di- now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And it's living in that life that we want to consider next week. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the word of God this morning. Oh, God, your word is so rich, it's so full. Oh, God, as our eyes are open, Lord, as our spirit is nourished and receives, receives of this wonderful truth, God, make it real in our lives. Lord, because this is the gospel. This is the provision of the abundance of grace that through Christ we would reign in life. The life of God. It's the life of God manifesting and flowing. It's the fullness. It's walking in the Spirit. It's the newness of life. It's all of these things which are reflective of all the fact that it is the fullness of Christ in us being filled with the Spirit. God help us. Continue, Lord, cause us to to walk in this newness of life. Lord, you've begun a good work and you will complete it. And I thank you that your grace is so sufficient. Your grace has made us great. Your grace will complete this work. We just thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the Lord bless you this morning. We'll have a time of fellowship with one another and... uh, The Lord bless you, amen.